Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talked to Bob Irving about the nonsensical thought that four downs could be coming to the CFL. Come on. No. No. Also, George Foreman III is coming to Winnipeg. We'll talk about why on the podcast. It's been a while since we've had this guy on the show. Bob Irving, CFL fan. <laughs> Twitter, uh, very prolific Twitter user. I see his tweets all the time on all things sports. Bob, did did you expect when you got on Twitter, whenever you did, that you'd become so in love with the app? <laughs> I don't know if love is the term I'd use to describe my association with Twitter, Christian, but, um, you know, I'm interested in what's going on in the world of sport, and I sometimes have views and opinions of various things, and so... I have found it interesting to share those views and opinions on Twitter. Uh, there are some things on there, as you well know, that uh, make you shake your head a little bit. But uh, I'm on it, and I guess I'll stay on it until such time as I grow tired of it or somebody kicks me off. And uh, it's something to do. And, you know, I'm retired now, so if I can stay involved in discussing sports and hearing opinions about sport, then, you know, I enjoy that. So you're obviously a longtime, big-time advocate of Canadian Football League. And the reason I'm having you on, it's something I've, I've kind of avoided because I didn't think it was really a story, much like I didn't think the XFL thing last year was much of a story, just a thing that I think CFL people online were talking about because we're bored. But the, the whole notion of playing four downs or being looked at by the CFL, I always thought it was nonsense that it, they'd even consider that. And I'm not even sure if they seriously considered it, but... It would be would it be sacrilegious for the CFL to switch to four downs? It most certainly would, and this thing really, Christian, has developed a life of its own, and I, I think social media has had a lot to do with it. I can tell you that at the Grey Cup, there was, you know, some behind the scenes discussion that I was made aware of by some people in the league about a possibility to look into going to four downs. And the genesis of that was the fact that the scoring was down so much in the 2021 season and has been down for a couple of years. And there's a concern that the sort of excitement factor in the CFL has waned a bit. And I, I would agree with that to a point. And so, you know, whenever this something kind of goes wrong with the CFL game, and I don't think there's anything wrong with the game, uh, even though scoring was down last year, somebody behind the scenes, and when I say behind the scenes, these aren't the football people in the CFL that are talking about this. These are the owners, the, the presidents, and people like that who throw it out there. Well, maybe we need to go to four downs so we get more scoring. That's how we'll get more scoring. We'll go to four downs. I don't believe it's a serious conversation at the league level. Not right now, anyway. I don't think it's going to go away uh, until you know there's another exciting more scoring season, which I hope 2022 will give us. But I think it's much ado about nothing right now. There's no traction, really. It has become a topic of discussion because it was raised, and it has, as I say, it has been talked about by a few people at the league level, but not enough to make it happen. So it's not going to occur in 2022, and I think it'll die a slow death, just as the discussions about the XFL did. Uh, and I don't necessarily know if it would have been the solution to more scoring anyway but it would be sacrilegious back to your question hey the beauty of our game and you know how i feel about our game the beauty of our game is the three downs the wider field the longer field the rouge all the rest of it 
And I don't think there's anything wrong with our game. And I've never felt that way, and I never will feel that way. And going to four downs to me just cheapens it and makes it, and we talked about this on the start Monday morning, it, it becomes NFL light. Uh, you know, and then that's the worst thing that the CFL needs to become is NFL light. We have a unique game, and one of the most unique aspects of it is the three downs. And if you go to four, you're NFL light in my view, and that is the last thing in the world the Canadian Football League needs. I understand trying to cover all your bases when it comes to analyzing your league, right? And yeah. three downs is obviously one part of that, but I just it seems like an untouchable to me. And there's a lot of sure. other things they can do. Another yeah. thing I noticed is hash marks. The CFL hash marks are very wide. The NFL's hash marks are so narrow as to be almost not even there. Right. Uh, they're very close together. With the wider CFL field, much wider hash marks. Uh, John Huffnagel and Randy Ambrose, we've heard from them that they want to move the hash marks closer together, potentially. What do you think of that idea? Well, I like it. See, these are, to me, the tweaks you would make to the game, Christian, that wouldn't dramatically alter the game. So you move the hash marks in, and now instead of you know the ball and the left hash, and there's only, what, a fraction of the field then between the, the left hash and the sideline. And, I mean, Huffnagel's argument was if the hash marks are more toward the middle of the field, you've got more field to work with when you're on offense on both sides of the ball. And that should, in theory, uh, open up the game a little bit. The other one that they've talked about is making holding a five-yard penalty instead of 10. Because as you well know, when they get a, a holding penalty on first down, making it first and 20, or even on second down, second and 20, the chances of converting are very slim. Whereas if it's a five-yard penalty, now you've got a, you know, a better chance of keeping your drive going, which of course would lead to more scoring. So I think those are sensible discussions about tweaks you can make to the game that don't dramatically change the nature of the game. And I know those are things they are discussing. I said on Twitter, if John Huffnagel thinks it's a good idea, then it's a good idea because Huffer, as we all call him in his years now back in the league, he hasn't done many things wrong. But I like those ideas, and I know they talk about some other things too. There's discussion about the ratio. One of the things I heard, and I don't think this will fly either, is that uh, you would be teams would be forced to play so many Canadians on either side of the ball because right now teams are loading up on defense with their Americans but then I think that's a slap in the face to the Canadian player and I don't see that gaining any traction either so I look for the hash mark thing the five-yard holding penalty and one or two other things here's the other thing Christian that I would say about one of the reasons the scoring was down last year the quarterback play across the league and you watch it very closely I don't think was at the kind of level that we've seen in the past. Would you agree with that? No, of course I would. I I wonder how much of that too, Bob, was the fact that we were coming off a canceled season. We're coming off in, you know, still a pandemic year. The off season was really weird for a lot of people. I think last year it was kind of a a rocky season because there was a lot of rust, right? Players hadn't played in so long. So I think to after let's make those judgment calls on the offense after this season when there has been a totally kind of normal off season and lead into the season, I feel like that had uh, maybe a bigger impact than people are, are letting on at the moment as far as yeah, that's I how I see it. No, I agree with that. Totally. And then I go back to the quarterbacks and Bo Levi Mitchell has not been the prolific quarterback the last couple of years, largely because of injury that he was for, you know, a four or five year period. And, and maybe he gets back to his form. Edmonton's quarterbacking last year was dreadful. Now they got Nick Arbuckle 
maybe it's better with him at quarterback. Jeremiah Mazzoli has moved over to Ottawa, and their quarterbacking with him will be far better. Their quarterbacking oh, yeah. was a disaster last year. Dane Evans, the young guy in Hamilton now who's taken over there, you know, he was inconsistent last year, but he's he should grow. Uh, Vernon Adams in Montreal has tremendous potential. Maybe he becomes a you know a real consistent star quarterback. And of course, we got Zach Calaris here and Fajardo in Saskatchewan. So, you know, I think we can expect improved quarterback play, which will make the games more exciting and create more offense. And then the things you touched on with uh, the pandemic and the lost season, I think set the offenses behind. And if they can tweak a couple of these rules that favor. The offense, then, you know, I think we're going to be back to the kind of Canadian Football League football that we all respect and love so much with lots of scoring and wide open games and all the rest of it. So, again, I go back to this four down thing. It's had a lot of discussion. A lot of people are weighing in on it. But I don't think it has any chance. I know it has no chance to carry this year. And hopefully it'll go away for good. There's so, you know, how many NFL games is it, you know, handoff, handoff, now it's third and seven. Yeah. Like that, that happens a lot. That's not fun. Right? Uh, there's a lot of boring football in the NFL too. So the four downs is not necessarily equal excitement. There's going to be a lot. If you go to four downs, there's going to be a lot, I think, more conservative play calling than there well, would be sure. with, when you've got three downs. Yeah, that's one of the arguments against it too, is that uh, teams just run the ball you know, you got three downs to make 10 yards. There'll be a lot more running of the ball and less passing. But we'll get more passing if the quarterbacks play better. And, again, I, I think they will. And you talk about there being some dull games in the NFL. Of course there are. They have 16 games every week. The problem for the Canadian Football League is they only have four games every week. And if two of them are not so good, you know, they're there for all to see. Whereas in the NFL, they'll, you know, the, the, the eight. buried. Not so good ones you won't see. They won't be on prime time. They won't be on any of the main TV carriers down there. And, you know, that's uh, that's an issue that has been there forever. Uh, there are no more bad games in the CFL than there are in the NFL. Although, in fairness, now the NFL, the scoring has gone up in the last couple of years, and they do throw the ball more now than they did a few years ago. But, hey, back to the Canadian game. There's nothing wrong with the Canadian game. There never has been, Christian. Whatever problems the league has with attracting fans or whatever, the game is not the issue. It goes beyond that. It's marketing, and they have this company called Genius now that I know uh, Randy Ambrosi and the governors feel can make a big, big difference for them. Sports betting, which I know you're, I won't say you're into, but you're very conversant with it. Um, sports betting is going to bring more money into the league. So, look, I, I look for a real upswing in 2022. I really do. I think so, too. I think it's going to be uh, an opportunity for kind of a fresh uh, start. Like I know that last year was the comeback from COVID, but it's still there's a cloud of COVID. And, I mean, let's face it, the Grey Cup got in just under the wire yeah. with Omicron coming in. So it was good the Bombers could, could win back-to-back. I'll, I'll get you to comment on the Bombers before I let you go, since that was your purview for a, a few years here in yeah, Winnipeg. Just a few, yeah. They're off-season. Well, How would you grade it? Oh, I think they've done a good job. You know, they've lost some players. We knew they would. Uh, Kenny Lawler and Andrew Harris would be the biggest losses for sure. It's too bad the Harris thing worked out the way it did. And, you know, I've heard uh, some behind-the-scenes information on it, and it's I can't put the blame on one party or the other. It's just one of those things that happened. We all, 
You know, everybody who's followed knows all the factors involved in it, and it just worked out that way. It's unfortunate because Andrew should have been able to finish his career here at home and ride out on a white horse and all that good stuff. But, hey, sports doesn't always work that way. Uh, but they've done a good job of bringing back the key players. Now, they got to fill a few holes here and there. But, uh, no, I think, you know, when you win back-to-back championships, everybody wants more money. And you can't satisfy them all when you're working in a salary cap world. And so Kyle Walters and Mike O'Shea and Wade Miller did as good a job, I think, as can be expected. Uh, the Lawler thing was out of left field. I mean, when he got offered $300,000, that just, uh, you know, there's no way you can compete with that. So they can find a receiver, an American receiver, a good one. They brought their old line back. They brought a lot of the receivers back. They got their quarterback. And they got a backup who I know they like now, Dakota Prukup. Who's a journeyman Christian, but uh, Buck Pierce told me he likes him. He thinks he's a guy that you know they can they can function with. So defensively, a hole here and there in the secondary, but the D line, the ends, the linebackers are back, and uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to be good again in 2022. And uh, I I don't see any reason why they won't be right in the thick of it right to the end again. You're obviously a big golf guy too. Two weeks from tomorrow, the Masters, <laughs> yeah, uh, in Augusta, tradition unlike any other. But Phil Mickelson has been a big part of that tradition since 1994. He's not going to play at it this year. Through his own doing, he put his foot deep in his mouth with what he said about uh, the Saudi Golf League and the PGA Tour, and he's sitting out his penance. But how weird will it be to watch the Masters with no Phil and probably no Tiger? Well, it will be strange for sure. Uh, Tiger, I think a lot of Tiger fans, and there's some of them in my family who a couple of weeks ago were hoping that he would kind of rise from the ashes and make his return at the Masters, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. The Phil Mickelson thing is, I would never have imagined, Christian, uh, a month ago or six weeks ago that we'd be talking this way about Phil Mickelson, who was one of the game's great ambassadors, one of the most popular players among the fans and has been for many, many years now. And talk about a guy destroying his reputation with some comments about the Saudi Golf League, first of all, and then, you know, trashing the PGA Tour, calling it, what was the term he used, uh, greed, some sort of greed. I mean, this is the tour that made him rich, for heaven's sakes. And so I I don't know. It's... he sounded, Phil sounded like a tired, bitter old man at 51 who can't compete. And I know he won a major last year, but who can't compete anymore at the level he wants to. And so he's frustrated and he starts lashing out. Now, whether or not I, there was a great debate and there has been a debate in golf circles about whether or not he's actually not playing in the Masters on his own or has been suspended by the PGA Tour. And I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of that. I'm sure at some point it'll come out. But either way, it'll be strange not to have him there. But uh, you use the word, he's serving a penance. And he, and he deserves to. You know, the, the way he's behaved now and a few a few weeks ago, just to, and I kind of like the guy, you know. I like watching him. I like the, the charisma that he has. He's an exciting player. And it's just kind of sad the way it's turned out for him now. We'll see if he's actually back for the defense of the PGA Championship in May because obviously that's a that's a big one for him. Bob, appreciate your time. Thanks for this. Hope you're enjoying in retirement, and we'll uh, check in with you later on in the season. Anytime, and Phil will be back, Christian. Oh, He'll yeah. be back at some point playing again, but hey, enjoy it anytime. Well, I'll start with this. Have you been to Winnipeg before? No, this is my first time. This will be my first time visiting Winnipeg. I've been to Canada quite a few times. 
but I'm excited to to check out um, uh, Winnipeg. I'm really excited. Heard a lot about it. Was it strategic to wait until the heart of winter was over? <laughs> no, no, no. We we had it our way, and you know how the world's been. We would have uh, would have gotten this done a long time ago. But um, ho- hopefully that that plays my favor because I don't, my winter clothes are not up to snuff. Well, yeah, it just everything started melting about a week ago. We had a ton of snow. It was way below freezing for months on end. That, that's what Winnipeg's like. But you, you're coming right for springtime. Explain to our listeners why you're coming to Winnipeg. Oh, so the reason I'm coming is um, we are uh, launching a – we're opening a boxing club um, inside the Good Life location, uh, the refinery location right there in Winnipeg. And um, this is this will be the, the, the first – um, of, of this style for us. And we're really excited to be partnering with Good Life on it. Now, now for those who don't know, you've opened a, a number of uh, boxing gyms and training facilities over the U.S., right? That's correct. Yes, sir. Why did you want to get into that side of the boxing business? You know what? Um, I started off a long time ago, about 10 years ago. And the, the, I really I really always wanted to be, um, uh, I you know, let me put it this way. I wanted to make sure boxing, authentic boxing training, and all that just means is the, the attitude that the trainers bring to the class was accessible to as many people as possible. Because my father, he was a professional boxer. When he was growing up, there was a boxing gym on every corner. And now those are gone for, for, and for, for good reason, because a lot of them weren't being run the right way. Um, but I still think someone having access to go in and hit a bag and blow off some steam and become a part of a community, the world needs that. And so we set out to say, how can we do that under the brand Craft Boxing? Um, which is just, you know, authentic boxing done, done right, so to speak. And if we wanted to have a gym, a gym on every corner, so to speak, we had to go country by country and look for the best partners, the best companies to partner with that already had facilities, um, because otherwise it would take forever. And so for Canada, that, that was good life. And so I'm um, really excited to kick it off um, with, with, with them. And that, so that's, that, that's what brought me um, to, to, to open up the gym right, right here in Winnipeg. Well, obviously, people know your name. They know your your father and his business acumen as well. Did that rub off on you as you head into this venture? Did you see that growing up and thought, you know what, I can combine boxing and business and do my own thing too? Absolutely. I think you know, my I was on the phone with my dad yesterday talking about this, and um, we were talking about why we chose the name Craft. And um, the the reason was, you know, there's many boxing fitness brands out there, and they're they're great, and throwing punches to get your heart rate up is outstanding. Big part of what we do. Um, but uh, you know, uh, we as we were talking, as people become more educated with fitness, and uh, you know, eventually they want to learn the right way to do things. And um, you know, what what we were talking about is, you know, how could, how could we do this in a way where we're not inventing anything new? And my dad learned from guys like Archie Moore. He fought Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier. He was very close to their trainers. And so the plan with this was, and by the way, my dad trained me for six years as a professional fighter. With Kraft, we're not going to bring any of our stuff that we came up with. This is everything that's been passed on generation to generation to generation, the fundamentals, um, things that are tried and true. And that's what Kraft was going to be. And so I I guess my point is, you know, that's how my dad trained me. He said, I'm not going to teach you anything new. Um, we have our own ideas. I'm going to teach you what I know works, um, what was working 100 years ago. And the concept behind craft was to bring that authenticity to, to, to regular people all around the world and to make it easy and consumable, not intimidating. For those who have never 
done boxing before. I've never been to a class. I've never thrown punches at a bag before. What does that workout feel like? You know what? It, it's it's so funny. It's way it's way. <laughs> I didn't start boxing until I was 26 because I was nervous about going into the gym. Number one, and so, but it's not that it's not that hard. Like soccer is way harder. I'll, I'll start there. Um, but the experience is this, and all craft classes are like this. You walk in, you get a warm introduction. There's music playing because music is a big part of boxing, always has been. And um, atmosphere, how the room makes you feel when you walk in, big part of boxing, always has been. But the first 12 minutes, we set the stage, and it's a warm-up. And you go through all the movements that you're going to do in the workout. And after that first 12 minutes, you know, you've done every movement, practiced it, that you're going to do in the workout. And then we turn on the timer, put on the music, and then we remind you round by round of each movement um, so that you're not lost. And um, so in that respect, I say the first 12 minutes is about teaching and learning. And then the, the remainder, you know, 35 to 40 minutes is about sweating and having fun. And um, we put a lot of energy into that first 12 minutes to teach. So you actually learn something. But the other reason we do that is so that you can let your mind free. And for the next 35 minutes, exercise that skill and have a good time. And, and it's a great workout, which is important. I think for for some people like myself who I've never boxed before, for me it's a limited understanding of of Rocky and seeing these dirty, uh, dimly lit gyms on film. But that's that's just not really how it is in reality, right? It's 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 more professional than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think um, we we all grew up seeing the movies like Rocky and having this you know th- this idea of what boxing gyms are like. But what I grew up with, there's a guy named Archie Moore. He fought a guy named Yvonne Durrell, a Canadian. That was his hardest fight. And growing up, Archie always carried that fight, the actual physical videotape with him at all times. He always had it on him because it was just the fight where he felt like he, he really proved himself. But the point is, the first thing Archie did when he came to our um, gym, Archie was Muhammad Ali's first trainer. The great, He has more knockout. He has like 200 knockouts or something like that. This is one of the greatest fighters of all time. He, the first thing he did is he cleaned it up. And, you know, everybody's waiting around, to, what's he going to teach us? And, you know, he's this old master. He took his time and swept, mopped, cleaned, tied stuff together, put tape. And he said, look, we're going to, every day we show up to work, we're going to show up in a clean environment. That's authentic to boxing. And it doesn't always make it into the movies, <laughs> but, but that's authentic to boxing. Number two, when you do, make a little money, you go back and you renovate your gym. You show up in a Rolls Royce as champion and, and you give back to your community. Authentic to boxing. And so what you'll see at our, our facility and um, at the refinery is um, what Archie would have designed a gym to look like. If Muhammad Ali could have designed his boxing gym with 10 million bucks in his pocket, um, what would he have designed his boxing gym to look like? That's what you're going to find there. And every square foot of that thing is authentic. Professional fighter, and sorry to ramble, but a professional fighter could walk in there, execute his entire training camp there, and really be happy that he won't have to wait on the bag. But then a beginner which is who we're really focused on. Someone who's never boxed before can go in there and have a good time and, and learn a skill in the process. You mentioned you didn't get into boxing until a little bit later. Was part of that just the pressure of who your dad was? You know what? It, really, the, the two reasons. Number one, I was intimidated and nervous because it, it always sounded so hard, you know? But it's really not. And um, But the other reason was because I grew up working in training camps. So for us, that was our family business. So you know, dad, my father was fighting. So, you know, working in training camp meant you were helping cook food, tying his shoes, chopping wood, helping him do his running, filming his sparring, like, you know, eight or nine people that have nothing that 
that would surround that would be part of a training camp had jobs that had nothing to do with the actual boxing part. And so that's how we looked at it. This is just a job and I'm playing my part, but I'm not the actual boxer. The reason I got into it is I had been really successful at, at an early age in business, um, in entertainment and licensing. And um, I had gained 100 pounds, extra 100 pounds. I was already over 200 pounds when I started and I became 300 pounds or gained 100 pounds. And I wanted to lose the weight and I couldn't find anything else to motivate me. I had tried the diet pills, every diet pill you could find at GNC, I took it. Uh, weightlifting, running, cycling, nothing to keep me consistently motivated. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to give boxing a try. It was like my last resort. And then here we are almost 20 years later and I never put it down and developed a passion for teaching other people. And I did lose the weight. I lost 80 pounds, not 100. So. Nice. Did you enjoy your time as a pro fighter? I absolutely loved it. I was 16 and 0. I didn't lose any fights, but I think it's kind of like the book um, the guy wrote about takes 10,000 hours to master something. Um, Malcolm Gladwell. After five, my dad insisted when he started training me that if I'm going to train you, you have to train other people because that's how you're going to retain. And so I was like, "What am I going to teach him?" He said, "Teach him whatever I taught you that day." And we trained six to seven days a week. And so I looked up after about four years, and I had been te- coaching people for six hours a day because I put down business and only training myself for about an hour and a half, two hours max. So after four or five years, I naturally felt I'm way better at training people. And I had an amateur boxing team and I looked up and that was my passion. I don't know. It's just, maybe it was just because that's what I had been doing, but I loved it so much more than fighting. And I said, if I can make a teacher salary, which I thought was $35,000 a year, teaching boxing that I would put down the sport and, um, never look back but I, I really, really, really love teaching it. And I really love teaching it to people who've never done it before. It's the biggest, it's, it's the biggest excitement for me. And so that's part of why you're coming up to Winnipeg, right? You're going to be helping train the trainers up here. Exactly. So we've actually spent um, a few months with the trainers, um, sending them content, doing zoom sessions with them. A lot of them have boxing experience prior to um, teaching them our, our, our our, I hate to say method because it's been around for a hundred years or more, but teaching our style of introducing new concepts to people, how to, how to make sure people have fun and get a good sweat and all that. But then we're going to go come up there and we're going to spend five days drilling them, making sure that we can sign off on every instructor who's teaching the class um, and vouch that they know what they're doing. So that that's what we're doing. And we just want to make sure they kick off the whole program with confidence and, and bring the right experience to the members. Before I let you go, it's, everyone knows you and your brothers are all named George. Uh, um, I know that there's nicknames for each one of you to tell you apart. What, uh, <laughs> yep. What's your nickname and what's the origin of it? <laughs> my, my parents would say my nickname is Ham because if, if, if I hear that word, I'm coming. Um, <laughs> but um, mine is, uh, well, my dad is Monkey. That was, that's what he grew up. They call, his brothers and sisters called him. Then there's little George or George Jr., they call me Monk for short, like, uh, or I call myself Monk Jr. sometimes, you know, for short for Monkey for my dad's nickname. Then there's um, George number four. We call him Will. Then there's George number five. That's red. He was supposed to be the stoplight. That's enough. And then there's George number six. Um, we call him Joe after one of his uncles. And And is that what you all use for each other? Yeah, yeah. We all call each other by our nicknames because it, it would get confusing. Um, and the only time it gets confusing with the George stuff is, uh, when we go to the airport together and people yell oh. George and we all turn around, but, um, but we all go by nicknames. George, my dad is the only one that gets to be called George. 
Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, well, Monk, appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Thanks for this, and enjoy your time to Winnipeg when you get here. Excited to be there with you guys. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all the day. You may not share our intellect, which might explain.